Welcome back, baseball fans, to another edition of On Deck presented by Deep Dive Sports. This is season two, episode one. That's what we're going to call that this year. So we're going to see what this next season is going to bring for you, sports fans, for On Deck. So we're going to talk a little bit about the strike that went on. We're going to go into kind of the details and what came out of the strike once they decided to ratify everything and come to an agreement. We're going to talk about some free agents, who they are, where they might go. We're going to talk a little bit about spring training and kind of the schedules. It's a shortened schedule, but we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about who Dom and I think are going to get all the way to the World Series this year. Again, way too early predictions for that. We're going to talk a little bit about college uh, rankings as they are right now. And then we are going to finish the episode off with a fact about baseball that you guys might not know. So to start this off, we're going to talk again about the strike and the lockout is over. It took more than three months and multiple deadlines for delaying the regular season before Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball's Players Association ended their stalemate and came to turn for a new collective bargaining agreement. This was a 99-day lockout. Is the second longest strike since that 1994-95 lockout, which I believe was about 230 days. Pretty much ended the uh, season for the 94, so there was no World Series that year, and went all the way through into 95. So this new agreement that they've come up with is a five-year deal. So we're not going to have to worry about a lockout in baseball for another five years until we can see something, you know, what's going on then. So opening day is moved to April 7th, and we are going to get a full 162-game schedule. Spring training camps opened up on March 11th, and the voluntary report date was March 13th, being the mandatory date. Uh, spring training games will start March 17th. Free agency began immediately once the CBA was ratified, so we've seen a few moves, but not as much as we actually thought going into uh, once the lockout was ended. We thought you know, some... Players and some teams would come to some quick agreements, but we haven't really seen that. So, uh, playoffs, they've been expanded to 12 teams beginning this season. The National League adopts the designated hitter starting this season, and the competitive balance tax expected to begin at $230 million will grow to $244 million. So, that was just a few little things, and we're going to get into some nuts and bolts of this ratification of their agreement all right first we're going to talk about the joint competition committee it will be formed by four active players six appointed by the mlb one umpire and beginning in 2023 tasked with adopting changes to playing rules pitch clock base size which i didn't know that was a thing we could discuss base size i thought that was always a standard thing but okay we're talking about defensive positioning automatic ball strike zone which i think is needed um and it was a one-year notice before and now it won't be so dom what is your take on this joint competition committee what do you think i think it's a good move i think it's definitely something that has been needed i feel like a lot of the decisions in terms of rule changes and stuff like that has been too focused on what the owners want. There's not really any say from how it's actually going to affect the players and the product on the field. So having a, a committee that consists of players and non-players to kind of work together to, you know, better the game for them. You know, that's obviously what the, the goal of this committee is to do. 
So I, I think it's good. I definitely agree. You know, this talking to the players, especially in the umpires, it, it kind of allows them to have some input and, and can actually, they can say what possibly could affect the game, whether it be negative or positive. So, so I'm definitely, I'm definitely in on this, this committee and what they're going to do moving forward and no more one year notice to change something. And then it happens. We, we saw a lot of that last year and we didn't agree with it. Yeah, like the um, extra innings starting on starting a runner on second base, and then um, you know beginning of the season when they changed the substance on the that the pitchers can use on the baseballs or on their hands. You, you know, it's too abrupt of a change, and right. the, the players didn't have any say in any of the changes. So I, I think it's a good compromise. Good, good, agreed. Next, we're going to talk about the minimum salary. So moving up to 2022, the minimum salary is going to be 700 K uh, 2023. It's going to go to 720 K 24 gives you 740 K 25, 760 K and 2026 will give you 780 K. Uh, the first year increase is the largest single year increase in history. So what is your takes on that Dom? I think it's something again, that I agree with, uh, you know, the players, for the most part over the last CBA we're kind of getting screwed over in terms of profit sharing and, you know, how much revenue the game was generating compared to what percentage of that they were actually getting. So I think increasing this minimum salary one helps the guys at the bottom of the roster that, you know, are just coming up for the minors or veterans that are, you know, hanging around trying to get one last deal. I think it really helps those guys and, at the end of the day, that's most of Major League Baseball. Most of the rosters consists of guys at or you know slightly above the minimum. So I, th- I think anything to help them out is definitely good. Yeah, your your utility guys and your guys that come up for a couple, uh, you know, games a season. It, this is definitely helping them out in a considerable manner. So next, we're going to talk about the pre-arbitration bonus pool. So $50 million will be distributed to the top 100 players based on awards and statistical performance. So under this new system, uh, if this was in place last year and this would be in place this year, like say the National League Cy Young um, would have a salary jump from 608K to $4.2 million. That's just crazy. They're going to do $50 million and they're going to give it to players that are at the peak performance and are getting all these awards and, and they're, they're compensating them for it. Yeah. I 100% agree because for too long, we see teams hold players back in the minor leagues to, you know, freeze their MLB service time. So they get control of them for a lot longer, which means they don't have to pay them as soon. So implementing something like this is really going to allow the, you know, the top prospects that, are really making waves throughout the game right, right now. They can allow them to actually get paid what they deserve. I mean, we look at some of the top young guys in the league and they're getting the league minimum or slightly above the league minimum. And, you know, these guys are all-stars. So I, I think this will allow them to get paid close to, to what they deserve. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 this incentivizes them to reach even higher performance peaks. Like, I just think that, 
you know, there's one thing to have, a, a, you know, your, your base salary and, and there's a couple, you know, if you make it to the playoffs, okay, that's another little increase and stuff like that. But to know that there's a separate thing that has nothing to do with your team that comes from Major League Baseball, that like I can just go out and be a rock star and, and possibly get some cash from it. Yeah, and it incentivizes teams to sign these guys sooner because, you know, let's say there's a top prospect and, you know, he reaches whatever milestones and has a big jump in salary. Well, most likely he's going to see the same thing next year. So it incentivizes teams to sign these guys to long-term deals, which is ultimately, you know, what they want. All right, moving on, we're going to talk about the draft lottery. So the top six selections will be awarded via lottery. Odds will be based on the reverse order of winning percentage with the bottom three clubs getting 16.5% of that lottery decision. So what do you, what did you take on that? That's a little, definitely new. It's new and it's something that I didn't think was in the bargaining agreement or I didn't think that it was something that they were negotiating. I like it because it disincentivizes teams from tanking because I think for too long we see teams that, you know, they we're good at one point, then they have a lot of old or older players that are expensive and they just sell everyone for a bunch of prospects. And, you know, they're bottom of the division, bottom of the league for five, six, seven years while they're waiting for all these prospects to develop and collecting all these, you know, top draft picks. It disincentivizes that. So if you were to try tanking, the odds of it to actually succeed are less. Correct. I definitely, that's one thing I definitely took from that is that it's the odds of are definitely less. And, and so you're not, you can tank, but you're not going to get what you want out of. I was, I was all for that. Next is the international draft in exchange for agreeing to an international draft by July 25th, 2020 MLB will eliminate the qualifying offer system for free agents. So in this new international draft, it'll be 20 rounds, 600 selections, Signing bonuses will be granted to all drafted players and teams who select players from growth countries will receive additional compensation. So what are your take is on that? Again, I think it's a good move. It especially helps out players from, you know, let's say the Dominican Republic or other countries in Latin America that, you know, don't necessarily have the best youth leagues or the best equipment. So giving these guys an opportunity to you know make it in in major league baseball not only helps them out but it gives those kids that want to play baseball but don't necessarily see it as a viable option for them it gives them hope in in playing major league baseball definitely this is something that has needed to be in place for a very long period of time and that you know gone away or the time where the yankees or the red sox even or you know the dodgers can just put out all this amazing amount of money without you know, uh, drafting somebody the, the legitimate way. So I'm definitely for it. Right. And I think it, it really benefits these mid-sized market teams that don't necessarily in, you know, previous international draft years don't really have an opportunity to sign some of these top international players, let's say from Japan or whatnot. They always go to, you know, cities that they're familiar with. They're, they're going to LA, New York, and that's pretty much it. But yeah, it, it helps out these teams because now they have a shot at getting some of the top international talent, which is obviously good for the game. Definitely. that's a, a, And everything that we've seen so far, this has just, just all been great for the game. And, and I'm so happy to see that they, they came to these 
decisions because it, it just yeah. makes it that much better of a game. And, and I, I just can't wait for the season. So the last little bit, I'm going to run down a few just little other odds and ends of other details of this um, agreement. So contracts for arbitration eligible players will be now guaranteed. Top prospects who finish first or second in rookie of the year voting will receive a full year of service. That's that's a big one. Clubs promoting top prospects to opening day rosters will get draft picks if the player finishes in the top three of rookie of the year or in the top five in MVP or the Cy Young uh, award. Uh, double headers, like we talked about earlier, go back to nine innings, and then the extra innings rule uh, has gone away. No more uh, man on second, which I think we all agree was just mm-hmm. horrible, and it just wasn't how the game should be played. But the the last thing, and this one stuck out to me more than anything else, and so I really want to get your take on this, is that players can only be optioned no more than five times in a season. So what do you think about that? Because that's huge to me. I That's huge, and um, the top guys that finish in rookie of the year voting, getting a full year of service is also huge. It, again, disincentivizes teams from holding players and the minors to slow down their service time clock so they get control of them for longer. So being only being able to be optioned five times instead of what was it, six or seven before, mm-hmm. it forces teams to make more of a commitment to these young guys instead of calling them up for a week and then sending them back down and then, you know, calling them back up a month later for another week and then sending them back down. You can do that, but only for a couple of times. And then once you, once you send them back down, you got to know that the next time you call them up, it's, it's for real and you're not going to be able to send them back down. So I, I think that's good. Yeah. They, yeah any of these moves that help the guys that are trying to break through that are top talent or help the guys at the bottom of the roster, I, and anything that helps those guys, I think, is good for the game. Yeah, yeah. Like what I said just a little bit ago, this seems like every decision they they made this year has definitely been a positive outlook for the game, and and uh, I was just all about it. So moving on to our second topic, we're going to talk about the top ten players. Actually, we're going to talk about the top nine players because one of the top 10 guys actually got signed uh, today or yesterday to a team. So we're going to say the free agents that are still out there, where we think they might go. And I'm going to start with Carlos Correa. Dom, where do you think he's going to go? It's rumored right now that he's going to go to the Cubs. But I can see a team like the Philadelphia Phillies making a big splash. They're a team that's not afraid to spend a lot of money. You know, they gave Bryce Harper $300-plus million. And I think Philly's in kind of a desperate situation where you look at the rest of their division, especially including the Mets, they got to they gotta try to keep up. So bolstering that lineup by adding Carlos Correa, upgrading that shortstop position is would be huge for them. Yeah, I, I agreed, agreed. Uh, I kind of had them um, going to the Yankees. I think that the Yankees are, are have just constantly splashed all the money they can to get the top, 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 top tier talent. And mm-hmm. this year doesn't make it any different. And I think Carlos Correa seems like he'd be a good fit uh, for that organization. I think both of those options would be good for him. I mean, you look at the Yankees. Yeah, they got um, D.D. Gregorius over there, but you know, no disrespect to him, but Carlos Correa is a better player. Completely. And, and the, the, the Yankees and their fan base, they're not used to 
not winning championships for so long. You know, I think the last time they won one was 2009. So this is a, a organization and a fan base that's desperate to win a championship again. And I think bringing in Carlos Correa and then, you know, keeping Gregorius for maybe some depth or move him over or even trade him. I think that would be a good move for him. Yeah. The, and his, his contract alone could get a little bit off the books as well. Mm-hmm. Moving on to Chris Bryant. Um, where do you think he's going to go this year? <sighs> this is tough. Um, I, I really liked how he played with the Giants this past year after getting traded. I don't see him staying with the Giants. I think he's going to go to Seattle. I think they're a team that's on the cusp. They definitely took some major steps forward last year in terms of you know comp- not only competitiveness, but looking like a team that actually has potential to compete down the road. And you know, going back to our trade deadline episode, one of the biggest mistakes that I had said at the trade deadline was the Mariners not making any moves because they were a team that was right on the, on the verge of you know, getting a wild card spot. I think signing Chris Bryant now would make up for that. And going into this season, they're going to be a, a team to, to really be reckoned with in the AL West. Yeah, I actually had that exact same uh, destination for him. I think that the Seattle is is a perfect fit for him, um, and it, it just seems like that organization, like you said, is is up and coming and on the verge of of becoming something great. And adding him to the the roster would be just monumental for them. And I think a big growth forward. And I think you know having a guy of that stature on the team just makes everybody else play better. I mean, he, he's yeah. shown that with all the teams he's been on. So, especially all the young guys that he'd be playing with in Seattle, it would give him a chance to, you know, to be that veteran presence in a locker room that I think would fit him perfectly. Correct. So next on the list, and uh, I'm not sure. You know, I've kind of went back and forth with this guy as to whether he's going to stay at home or not. But I got Freddie Freeman. Where do you think he's going to go? This is tough because I will always think of Freddie Freeman as an Atlanta Brave but I think he's going to go to the Yankees. I think the Yankees will move on from Luke Voigt, even though he's, you know, he's good, but he's been inconsistent and injury prone. Adding Freddie Freeman to that lineup, man, that's, that's huge. I, I, I think that would immediately make the Yankees the team to beat. I think they'd be favorites to win the World Series if they were to add Freddie Freeman. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that first statement that I just never – I hope that I hope that he stays with the the Braves just because um, I don't want to say that would be a slap in the face to the Braves fans um, and the organization that he's he's come a long way with them for a lot of a lot of years and uh, uh, you know yeah. fantastic first baseman and his bat alone is just phenomenal. Um, I don't see him going out east though. I see him going home and going out west and going to the Dodgers. Interesting. He is a California boy, born and bred. He's got a home in LA. It's where his wife. That's where his kids are. So I, I, I see something like that. That if you're going to make that big move, that you make it to where you're home, rather than to make it where you're that much farther away from your home. That makes sense. Yeah. Like one thing to to LA, but to go to LA to New York all the time. I just I don't know if I see that necessarily happening. Yeah. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, thinking about it now, I think going to either of the L.A. teams would make more sense for him. So 
you changed my mind on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's definitely been a point of con- uh, conversation for a lot of my baseball friends um, that they really look forward to seeing what he's going to do. And I think the fact that he's t- taken this long to come to because you, we know the Yankees have gone after him. You know the Red Sox have gone after him. You know Atlanta's probably <laughs> offered him everything under the sun. And the fact that he's taken just enough time uh, that, uh, that just shows that he's definitely mulling over um, those potential landing spots and he wants to make sure he has everything in his head before he makes that final decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. Next, we're going to move on to Trevor story. Uh, he's the number 11 of the top 50. So where do you think he's going to go? I think the Cubs are going to make a big splash and sign him. I think they're a team that they were rebuilding. They got rid of a lot of their expensive older players they're a team that, you know, their pocketbooks are going to be pretty much limitless. So I think with all the young players that they were able to acquire at the trade deadline, adding someone like Trevor Story to an up-and-coming roster that has a lot of potential, I think would be good for them long-term. I don't think that signing Trevor Story is going to make them, you know, the team to beat in the National League this year. But I do think, you know, not this year, but next year and then the years going forward, I think they're going to be, one of those top teams that we think about is going to be a World Series contender. Okay, right. Um, a landing place for him, uh, I'm thinking, is the Astros. I think they're definitely going to lose Carlos Correa. Um, so mm-hmm. I think replacing that bat in the lineup is going to be really huge for them. And I think that that is a, a, a good fit for that particular uh void that's going to be had by Correa because we we all know that Correa is just amazing amazing ball player um can hit pretty much anything and so Trevor Story's not on his caliber but he's he's still a, a great bat and a great lineup uh, addition for that team absolutely well fifth on the list we had Nick Castellanos uh we were going to talk about him and then uh I, we heard yesterday or today that he actually signed with Seattle. So what do you think that impact in Seattle is going to be? I think that's going to be absolutely huge because it gives them, it it helps solidify their outfield and it gives them one of the best bats in the game. I think he's going to be that, that veteran that is going to be the focal point of the team. And I think that's an absolutely amazing move for them. Definitely. Definitely agreed. And like we said, what we talked about, um, earlier is that you know if they add end up adding Chris Bryant to that that's just you're just loading up that team. So next on the list is Seiya Suzuki. Where do you think he might land? This is difficult because I know he's coming over from Japan, and there's some teams that think he's one of the greatest um, Japanese prospects to come over since Hideki Matsui. But then there's also some teams that are still kind of on the fence about him. But at the end of the day, I. I still see him going to one of the big market teams. Probably, if I had to pick a team, I'd probably say the San Francisco Giants. And I, I had the exact same destination for him. Um, Great minds think alike. And, and part of it, I think, is a little bit of the. Uh, it's definitely going to be more of a West Coast team than an East Coast team, just because of the 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 flight home. Yeah, you know, I mean, the easiness to to be able to. Um, get there and i think that that san francisco has a a fantastic um, you know asian culture and asian uh, population and so i think that 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 would definitely suit him well in that that particular 
destination. So we definitely agree on that. So next on the list is Kyle Schwarber. Uh, played last year with the Red Sox, is a free agent. So where do you think he is going to end up? I think he's going to stay in Boston. I think he fits the team pretty well. Um, I don't know necessarily what the market for him is going to be, but I, I think his best opportunity is to stay with Boston. Yeah, he, he's a good fill-in for uh, at first base when he's able to do that and a designated hitter. I mean, he proved that he could definitely – fill that position, fill that void quite well last year. So I, I agreed on that. that. That's where I had him uh, not going anywhere. Next, uh, Kenley Jansen, what do you think? I think he's too established and too and, – and, and has been with the Dodgers for too long. I don't see him going anywhere. I think he's nearing the end of his career. He's in his, in his mid-30s now. Um, to me, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for him to leave the Dodgers. So I, I see him staying on probably a one to two years. Yeah, and I, I agreed on that as well. Um, with Clayton Kershaw uh, recently signing to uh, a deal with the Dodgers, I think that they're all still trying to push that that whatever they can finally get out of him to to try to to win it again. All right, next on the list, Anthony Rizzo. Where do you think a landing place for him could be? I could see him. I could see him staying with the Yankees, just because. One, he can alternate with Freddie Freeman if, you know, my earlier prediction was to come true and they sign Freddie Freeman. They can split time at first base. They can have one of them as the DH. Either way, you can't go wrong because they're both gold glove first basemen. So you're never going to have a drop off. You know, one of them has to have an off day or you move one of them to DH. There's going to be really no drop off in terms of play on the field. So I think it makes sense for the Yankees to re-sign him. And I don't think he's really incentivized to go anywhere else because i mean it's the yankees he's going to get the most money and he's going to compete for a championship yeah but it's just a lot of money to to pay both to be at that top tier um first base i just i I don't see it and um what i just talked about with with kyle schwarber i think that um anthony rizzo the, the red sox are in dire need of a a top tier first baseman and Anthony Rizzo could be a, you know, everyday starter on that team. Um, and then yeah. move into that DH role on a more permanent basis um, because the Red Sox are in desperate need of, of that position. I mean, they've got, you know, Rafi at Devers at third. Um, so I think that, that with everything else, I, I think that he would be a good fit. And obviously the Red Sox have shown that they can, Spend money just like the Yankees, maybe not as much, but they can definitely spend that money. So I got the Red Sox, but we'll see. Okay, that makes sense. All right, last on the list, Michael Conforto. Where do you think he'll go? This is another guy. I, I see him staying with his with his team. I, I see him staying with the Mets. I think they're a team that underachieved last year, but I don't think they're going to be a team that underachieves again this year especially with all the rest of the moves that they've made in the, in the off season before the deadline or not before the deadline um, before the lockout. So I could see him staying. It, it makes sense for both sides for him to stay. It gives the Mets, you know, one of the, the more solid outfielders in the game. And for Conforto, he's going to be on one of the teams that everyone's saying is going to be one of those top teams in the national league. So it, it, I think it makes sense for both sides for him to stay. Okay. I think the Marlins are a team. I think that they've got the money to spend. And I think that, that uh, they need him in that outfield. And I think that 
I think he's going to chase the money, and I think that the Marlins are going to give him a little bit more than I think that the the Mets are willing to give him. What do you think? Interesting. I think that's that'd be a very surprising signing considering you know the the state of the Marlins. You know, Derek Jeter just left. They're a team that has some exciting pitching talent, but lacks any really sort of offense. So I, I think I, it would be a good move for them. I would just be very surprised. Yeah, that was kind of my my shot in the dark. My stick it to the wall and see if it if it stays there. <laughs> Next, we're going to move on to spring training. Major League Baseball announced that the revised schedule for the 2022 spring training, presented by Camping World, will officially begin on Thursday, March 17th. Uh, under the revised schedule, Cactus League clubs will play a minimum of 17 or 18 games, uh, varying by club, across the official 21-day window, March 17th through April 6th, while Grapefruit League clubs will play a regionalized schedule. Clubs on the west coast of Florida will play a minimum of 18 games across the 21 days, and clubs on the east coast of Florida will play a minimum of 15 to 16 games. So we've got four games scheduled for that Thursday and that first day, so we're just going to go over these four, four games. we got the Twins at the Red Sox uh, at JetBlue Park in Fort Myers, Florida. We've got the Diamondbacks at the Rockies at Salt River Fields at Talking Stick in Scottsdale, Arizona. And then we've got a little, seems like a little bit of a doubleheader, but um, different parks. So we've got the White Sox at the Cubs at Sloan Park in Mesa, Arizona. And then the Cubs at the White Sox at Camelback Ranch in Glendale, Arizona. So a little little back-to-back just to get these games in. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, this is definitely the first time that I'm going to be excited to watch spring training baseball. I'm always, you know, excited for pitchers and catchers to report because it's, you know, the start of the baseball season. And I'll watch, you know, the, a couple innings of the first couple um, Indians slash Guardians uh, spring training games. But at the end of the day, you know, spring training, what really piques my interest is regular season. But I'm so excited to have baseball back that I'll I'll watch any sort of baseball at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been watching MLB Network has been playing old games almost, you know, on a nightly or bi-nightly basis. And I, I've watched pretty much all of them. And I, I'm so glad to have Thursday the 17th off so I can actually sit and watch some of the spring training games. So I, I, I can't wait for it. So moving on, this is our way, 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 way too early predictions <laughs> for MLB playoffs in the World Series. So... I'm going to go down my list real quick and through the American League and the National League and then uh, see what Dom has, and then we can kind of discuss it after that. But in the AL, I'm going to start with the Tampa Bay Rays are going to take the AL East. In my, I think they're just too much of a powerhouse team. They showed last year that they just ran away at the East. I think nine games they finished out. Ran into the Red Sox, who are very um, were unpredicted to win even any of those playoff games, but actually uh, did pretty good. But uh, I think the Rays have got this uh, this year. I think the White Sox are going to come out of the AL Central standings. I think the Astros are going to be at the AL West. Moving on to the NL, I think the Phillies, like you said, they just they're they're 
firing on all cylinders last year, and I think that, that this is going to be a year for them to take the NL East. NL Central, the Brewers, we've talked about this last year, how they've got just all the pieces in place. They don't necessarily ever come out with it at the end of the year, but I think they have a core talent of groups of guys that, that uh, are on the precipice of winning big. I think the Dodgers are going to come out of the uh, NL West and the wild card round. If we move out to that is Yankees over athletics Padres over Cardinals. And then in the division series, you got Yankees over Rays Astros over white Sox, Phillies over Brewers Dodgers over Padres. I'm going to have the Yankees over the Astros, the Dodgers over the Phillies for the championship series. And in the world series, I hate to say it, but I got the Yankees over the Dodgers. Well, so what do you, what do you we, agree a lot. You <laughs> we, we definitely agree a lot. Um, I'll start in the American league as well. In the AL East, I see the Yankees winning the division, but I think there's going to be a tight race between second and uh, there's going to be a tight race for second place between the Blue Jays and the Rays. I think these are two teams that can really make a lot of noise. I like a lot of what Toronto did in the offseason pre-lockout. I think they're a team that's ready to win now, especially with that lineup. Um, so I think they're a team that really shouldn't be taken lightly. Then moving into the AL Central, I think you know the clear favorite is the White Sox. Every other team in the division seems to be rebuilding with the White Sox being the only team that's competing to win now. I think the rest of the division, especially the Tigers, their, their time is you know a couple of years from now. It's not right now. Right now it's the White Sox time. And I think they're the clear favorites to win the American League Central. Moving on to the AL West, this one is tough because I, you know, it, it, as much as I hate to say it, you can't really bet against the Astros. Um, but again, you also look at a team like the Mariners and the Angels, if they can figure things out in terms of their pitching staff. Um, offensively, the Angels are as good as anyone. They just need pitching. I can see the Astros winning this one with the Mariners coming in second. I think the Angels, most likely, they're going to be about the same as they were last year. Slightly above 500, you know, at 500. Kind of disappointing again, wasting another year of Mike Trout. Moving on to the NL East, I think the Mets added too much in this offseason. They filled really any hole that this team had. I think they're the clear favorite. I think the Phillies can put up a good fight, but I don't think they have the firepower to compete with the Mets. I think this is going to be their division to lose, and I think the Braves are going to drop off a little bit. I think they'll lose some some pieces here in free agency, but yeah, this is definitely the Mets division. Moving on to the NL Central, I think this is going to be a two-team race all year between the Brewers and Cardinals. I think the Brewers are just slightly better. They got better pitching. I think that's what's really going to put them over the edge, and I can see them winning the division again. And then lastly, the NL West, I think, again, the, the Dodgers are the clear favorites. They're by far the most stacked team in baseball. There's no holes on this team. They're bringing a lot of players back. They might add more in free agency. This is definitely the Dodgers division. Then moving on to the wild card round, I think the wild card is going to be between the two AL East teams. I think it's going to be the Rays and the Blue Jays. I think the Rays are going to squeak that one out. I think the Blue Jays, although they're an up-and-coming team, I think they're going to be good next year and the year after that, where the Rays, they're, they're built to win now. 
they're just not, not as good as the Yankees. So I, I see the Rays winning that one. Then moving over to the National League, I think the Cardinals are going to be – it's either going to be the Cardinals or the Padres. It's hard to, to fathom the Padres disappointing again with that lineup that they have. I could see the Padres and the Cardinals making the wild card game with the Padres squeaking that one out. Then in terms of the divisional league matchups or the divisional round matchups, starting with the AL, I'll have the Astros over the White Sox and then the Yankees over the Rays. National League, I'll have I'll have the Padres falling to the Dodgers. And then I'll have the Brewers squeaking out. Ah, no, never mind. I have the Mets beating the Brewers in this one. As much as I want the Brewers to to win a championship, they're they're just not as good as the Mets. So I think National League Championship, I'll have the all the Dodgers over the Mets. And then in the American League, I will have I'll have the Yankees over the Rays with the Yankees taking it home. Agreeing with you on that one. Okay, yeah, I think that with the potential additions that they can possibly still add and what their core is this year, I think that that they're just so so immensely talented, and uh, I I just see them playing a lot of really good baseball this year. I think it's it's you know they haven't won since two thousand nine, and I, I think baseball is cyclical and it all comes around, and I I think it's coming around to them again. So moving on to the next topic, we're going to introduce a little something new to the show. We're going to give you a top 10. We're going to give you a top 10 NCAA men's baseball little talk. We're going to give a rundown of the top 10 as of right now. And then Greg will give a a rundown of his predictions for the College World Series. But starting it off at number one, we have Ole Miss. They're 13 and two. Moving up in the rankings, um, they were previously ranked second. Moving on to number two, we got Texas. They're 13 and four. They were previously number one, but Ole Miss seems to be on a little bit of a better roll. So they're obviously moving up over Texas. At three, we have Arkansas. They're 11 and three. Number four, we have Vanderbilt. They're 13 and two. Oregon State is number five at 11 and two. Notre Dame is six at 11 and one. Tennessee is seventh at 15 and one. While Florida State is eighth, they're 10 and five. Florida is ninth at 13 and four. And then rounding out the top 10 is Georgia Tech at 13 and three. So the 2022 NCAA Division I college baseball tournament uh, will be played in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, the men's College World Series is set to begin Friday, June 17th. Uh, I think that uh, this year, I think Old Miss is uh, poised to take it. They've just been playing some lights out baseball and I, I don't see them slowing down anytime soon. What, what is your take? Yeah, I think right now they're the favorites, uh, especially with the run that they've been on. But I look at a team like Tennessee, I think they can really be a dark horse. They're sitting at 15 and one. They've been moving up the rankings consistently this whole season. Um, the previous rankings, they were 10. They moved all the way up to seventh. I think they're getting hot at the right time. And who knows? I think they can be a dark horse that can take, take this thing. Yeah, no, I, I agreed. Um, I think Arkansas is another one that's possible um, to, that can go as far. Uh, Peyton Paylet, uh, Paylet, uh, um, he's he's just been great for them. So we'll see. It's coming up in a couple of months, so we'll pay attention to that and give you guys some more information as the episodes go on. So to round out this episode of 
on deck presented by deep dive stores we're going to give you one fact about baseball that you might not know so dom i'm going to ask you who has the most grand slams in major league baseball history and how many yeah uh wow this is a good one it's probably someone that i would never even consider but first name that pops off in my head is barry bonds Considering he's the home run leader, he has the most odds of hitting the most grand slams. That's that's a honorable choice. You know, you got to think about how many times he was walked, and you look right. at like cool host, and they get walked a lot and stuff like that. The person with the most grand slams in Major League Baseball history is Mr. Alex Rodriguez with really five twenty five mm-hmm. grand slams. Grand Salamis is uh, owned by Alex Rodriguez. I. Did not see that coming. Uh, no. I, I looked it up three different ways this Sunday, and it all came to the same conclusion. Huh. Yeah, when, when I think of him, I think of another guy that, yeah, hits a lot of home runs but also gets walked a lot. So I figured he would have gotten walked before he had an opportunity to hit a grand slam. And I, If I read that correctly, I think a good chunk of that happened in his Texas days um, that he was – a lot of those teams were getting on base um, over and over, and he, he was just hitting that ball. Uh, in that cleanup spot. And, and and so a lot of those came in, in Texas time. That makes sense. All right. What do you got? Who has the most expensive autographed baseball ever sold and how much did it sell for? Like who, whose name was, was on the baseball autographed baseball. I would have to say Honus Wagner and $6 million. Well, that's a valiant effort, but it actually belongs to Joe DiMaggio and his then wife, Marilyn Monroe, who signed a baseball back in 1961 and it later sold for $191,200. Oh, so that's, that wasn't even close as far as monetary goes. No, but still not surprised that it was Joe DiMaggio on the ball. Yeah. I mean, in Marilyn Monroe, those signatures are hard to come by as well. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, to wrap this up, guys, thank you uh, very much for tuning in for another edition of On Deck presented by Deep Dive Sports. We are so happy that baseball is back and so excited to bring you baseball news and trades and all that stuff throughout the remainder of the season and going into October and the World Series. So keep tuning in um, every couple of weeks when we put out, out these every two weeks, and then we'll be giving you as much information as we can. And uh, until next time, baseball is America's pastime. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of On Deck as much as we have. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at deep.dive.sports. Or download us through Amazon, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. As always, we are On Deck, presented by Deep Dive Sports. Until next time.